Good, good morning, good morning. You good? You good? Awesome. Get here again so I can see. Oh, this one, I'm sorry. Well, one of our former graduates here. It's a privilege for me to have an opportunity to help you work together with you uh, this holiday weekend. And uh, saw me in all the video there. We, uh, we are launching last week into a new series called Fire. And uh, last week, Pastor Rob started us off strong in the series, and we have uh, an opportunity this week to continue along in our series called Fire, where we're taking a look at a whole bunch of stories throughout the Bible, where fire is an essential element of a story, uh, where fire is involved, where uh, how, uh, in these stories we see how fire helps us understand some things about the nature of God. And they help us to uh, to see how God sometimes did miraculous things in our world through uh, through fire. And I love hearing Pastor Rob last week. If you were here, share some of his stories of uh, some of his crazy experiences with fire. There's some of you are here. You remember some of those things? And if you're wondering, uh, I still have no idea how he lit his clothes on fire and ran down the street to to scare cars. Okay, I have no idea. But I'll tell you this: that, that if I find out. I will make sure I inform you and let you know so you can watch out for it. Okay, parents? <laughs> but uh, along with the, the stories that we shared, uh, it was just a great message looking at the, the story of Moses and the burning bush and, and how he helped us recognize that no matter where we find ourselves in life, even Moses was on the, the backside of the desert and God found him there and he knew where Moses was and he called him and he sent him on a course of an incredible experience with God, and don't ever think that God doesn't know where you are, and be ready, and live a life where you're ready, when God calls, or when God sends you into service, that you're ready to go. So today we're going to look at another story from the Old Testament, where uh, where fire played really an incredible role in the story, and the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, it's the story of a prophet named Elijah, and I got to tell you, we're going to find Elijah was an incredible incredible person who did incredible things for God. In this story we're going to read in just a little bit, we're going to see how that he took takes a, a bold and an unwavering stand for God. He takes an incredible stand in the midst of some really hard circumstances and God comes through uh, for him. But before we read the story together, I thought, you know, maybe I'll share some crazy stories about fire from my past. What do you think? Is that right? Yeah, I tried thinking of some this week and I couldn't come up with anything. I'm just boring. I don't know. I I never played with fire. I mean, I never, uh, I never lit my clothes on fire. Uh, I never burned anything to the ground. Um, I never had a fire get out of control. I came close once, uh, but got it under control. It wasn't no problem. Uh, but one thing I didn't remember and didn't think about is, uh, you know, growing up, my family was really uh, into camping. Any camping families? People love to go camping. Uh, we we love to go camping. We would go camping every summer. One of the things that we did. When we went camping, is the, one of the first things we did when we got to the campsite is we would start a campfire in the fire ring. Okay, we would start it up, we would light it up, we would get it going, and then our goal was that we would never let the fire go out for the entire time we were there camping. 
So, so we would, uh, throughout the day, we'd just throw a log on at night, we would get it roaring, and then right before we go to bed, we would, we would drop a big log onto the fire, so it would just, it would just cook all night long. And then the first thing we would do in the morning when we got up, is whoever got up first, would stoke the fire, put some fresh wood on it, and, and we just kept that fire going for the whole, whole time we were there. And so, I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, that sounds like a good sermon right there, doesn't it? You're right, that's right. Preach it, Mark, preach it. Just give an awesome call right there. Keep the fire burning. Don't ever let the fire of God go out in your life. Uh, as we get ready to read this story from 1 Kings chapter 18, let me ask you this question. When does God do a miracle? When does God do a miracle? You see, I believe in a God that performs miracles. I believe in a God that is willing to step into our world, that is willing to change the course of circumstances and do something incredible to accomplish His will. I believe that with all my heart. I've experienced miracles in my own life. I've experienced miracles in my family. I've read and I've heard stories of, of, of incredible miracles happening all over the world. I've watched people who were literally on their deathbed suddenly just turn around for no apparent reason and get well, and move on with their life. I, I've seen it happen. I've seen miracles. And listen, I believe that miracles should be the expectation of everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe it. Miracles should be an expectation of anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, because Jesus himself said in the book of Mark that signs and wonders would follow those who believed. And the Apostle Paul echoed it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he lists out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I just want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. Listen, these gifts are all supernatural gifts. They're supernatural in nature. I believe in a God who performs miracles. So again, let me ask the question, when does God do a miracle? I think there's two answers to that question. The first one is this, whenever he wants to. Whenever he wants to, God does a miracle, sometimes all by himself. We saw this last week in the story of Moses in the burning bush. God decided to break in and perform a miracle. So God does a miracle whenever he wants, but there's another time that I believe sometimes God does a miracle, and sometimes it's when we ask. Is when we ask. Sometimes God will work a miracle when someone steps up and asks boldly for a miracle. In the book Boundaries, Doctors Cloud and, and Townsend make this statement. This is incredible. They say this. One of the most astounding teachings of the Bible is that we can influence God. Think about that. One of the most astounding teachings of the Bible is that we can influence God. We have the ability as, as finite human beings to influence our infinite creator. 
the God of heaven, the God of earth. We have the ability to bring about something miraculous. Not just because of who we are, not because we want to see it happen, not because we think that it'd be cool or, or that we just really feel like we want or need it. But listen, when we are aligned with God, when we ask, sometimes the supernatural breaks into our natural world and something incredible happens. And that's what our story is about today. So let me just take a second, set the stage uh, to, to lead up into the story that we're about to read. And, and, and here's what's happening in the nation of Israel at this time in the Old Testament. Israel is being led by what a lot of people would call the worst leaders that Israel ever had. They were being led by a king named Ahab and a queen named Jezebel. <laughs> These were some bad people. I mean, Jezebel, her, her, her name, even to this day, Jezebel is associated with, sometimes used to describe an evil or a vicious woman, doesn't it? I mean, she was bad. Ahab, he was a total loser. Uh, he was weak, he was petty, he was just a, a, a bad, bad guy. And these leaders had led the nation away from the worship of Yahweh, led them away from the worship of the one true God. And the people now were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping idols. And in particular, they were worshiping a foreign god named Baal. Baal. Not only were the people straying and worshiping other gods, Jezebel, by her orders, uh, they had even hunted down and killed most of the good spiritual leaders in the nation in an attempt to get rid of, of the competition, you could say. You know, I just, as I was thinking about this this week, I have to say, you ever think sometimes when you're watching the news and you see all of the unrest and all of the fighting and the things that happen over in the Middle East, you kind of sometimes just go, what is going on over there? And I have to say that, that the fighting and the war and the strife that's been going on in that part of the world has been happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, I don't think it's really going to end until Jesus comes back and puts an end to it. But, but here's what's happening. In the, in the nation of Israel at this time, uh, they've gone away from worshiping God. They've turned to idols, and everything is a mess. And, and into this mess steps an incredible man of God, this prophet named Elijah. And Elijah was one of the most incredible, powerful, amazing prophets in the Old Testament. He was used by God to do some amazing miracles. One commentary refers to Elijah, I love this, as the grandest and most romantic character that Israel ever Elijah was awesome. His name, literally the name Elijah, means my God is Jehovah. As you introduce yourself, hi, I'm Mark. He said, hi, my God is Jehovah. That's me. <laughs> so leading up to our story, Elijah, this incredible prophet, and Ahab, this horrible, horrible king, they faced off against each other a number of times already. And the last time they squared off against each other was three years prior. And at that time, Elijah had declared, King, it is not going to rain in Israel until I say it rains. And it didn't. And it's been three years. And so Israel is in the middle of an incredible drought. And Ahab was, as you can imagine, a little bit ticked off with this prophet. And so this is where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. It says this. It says, Ahab went out to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. Let me just pause. Don't we do that sometimes? 
Don't, don't we sometimes when bad things are happening, we try to blame somebody or something outside of ourselves? We do what Ahab just did, and we do that all the time, instead of taking responsibility for our own actions and circumstances. But Elijah says, I have a big trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So, see what's happening here. There's one prophet of the Lord, and there's 850 false prophets. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. To that person. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed, and it was on. Here we go. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Oh, I love this. Or he's relieving himself. That was awesome. <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Let me pause just a second. This, when I was reading this, I, I felt like, man, this is such a picture of what happens to people who follow the wrong path in life. I mean, so often they're left, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally, but always spiritually, they're left wounded and bruised and bleeding, and they have nothing to show for. This is why I, one of the reasons I love Jesus. Listen, Jesus, Jesus does not say, if you show me by beating yourself that you really want me, maybe I'll respond. No. No. Jesus says, says, look, look, I took the pain. No, I took the punishment for you. Jesus says, look at my scars. See, I bled so you don't have to. That's why I love Jesus. Listen, Jesus treats his kids a whole lot better than the devil ever treats his. Jesus treats his kids a whole lot better than the devil will ever treat his. So pick it up in verse 29. It says, They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, Come over here. So they all crowded around as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. 
He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the pieces on the altar. And then he said, this is incredible, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And after they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And then they were finished. He said, now do it a third time. And so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Remember, Israel is in the middle of a huge drought. It hasn't rained for three years. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this in your command. O oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God. And that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord, He is God. I imagine if I was there, I would have done the same thing. I mean, wow. You know, whenever I read a story like this, there's a part of me that says, Man, I wish I could have been there to see that. Anybody else? I wish I could have seen that. It also makes me think, I would love to have faith like Elijah's. I'm not there yet. Not there yet. There's so many things in the story that we can learn, besides the fact that Elijah was just a really cool dude. There's so many things that we can learn, and I want to point out three things in the time that we have here. Three things that I believe were essential to the miracle of fire that happened in this story. The first thing is this. It's found in verse 21. Verse 21 said uh, that Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. First thing that we need to do if we want to see miracles in our life is we must choose to follow God wholeheartedly. We must choose to follow God wholeheartedly. There's no other way. It sounds simple, right? Oh, yeah, I can follow God. Yeah, it should be an easy choice, but it isn't always the case. I mean, we have to choose to follow Jesus. And just like Elijah declared to the people, if the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow him. Think about it for a minute. The Israelites, they've had a pretty amazing history with the Lord, haven't they? I mean, last week we talked about how Moses, about Moses and his call to lead the people out of slavery. And so God miraculously delivered his people from slavery. And now it's a, a few generations later, and the people are already following other gods. Listen, these are the same people who just a few generations earlier had marched around the city of Jericho and watched the walls fall down. These are the same people who under kings like Saul and David and Solomon had seen their nation prosper and it grew and they conquered the land that they now called home. Listen, they they experienced incredible miracles and the blessings of God, but they were still drawn away to worship other false gods. And you know, it's kind of sad. But when you stop and bring it into our day, I think that we can see that we probably aren't all that different. When you see what was happening in Israel, it wasn't that the people were just totally rejecting God. 
I mean, some of them certainly were, but not everyone was totally rejecting God. What they were doing was saying, well, maybe we can worship Yahweh, but then we can also worship Baal. I mean, we want to just cover all our bases, right? I mean, there's two, two gods. We can just, well, we'll, just, we'll just worship both. You see, Baal was the god who was supposed to be the god over rain and storms. That was the god, Baal, that they were worshiping. He was supposed to be the god of storms, and they were in a drought, so obviously Baal must not be happy about something, right? So the people were like, well, maybe we can worship Yahweh on one day, and then we can try to make this other god happy the rest of the time. Maybe something like, maybe I can, I can worship God on Sunday, but then I can just sell out my character and ethics at work the rest of the week. Or maybe, maybe I'll, I'll give God Sunday, but I'm hanging out on Friday night because I'm not anything goes on Friday night, but I'll just come and worship God on Sunday. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, we have to choose to follow God. And when we say yes to God, it means that we need to say no to some other things. And I'm not talking about being legalistic. What I'm talking about is, is saying yes to God means we need to say no to other things. Let me illustrate it this way. In 1994, I was making some decisions about where I was going to go to college. And uh, I had visited a couple of universities, and I had pretty much made up my mind that I was going to attend uh, a university in Lakeland, Florida called Southeastern University. I had a number of friends that were there and was familiar with the school a little bit. I visited down there. Um, Come on, it's Lake Florida, right? <laughs> but as the decision time was coming closer, it became clear to me that the place that I was supposed to attend wasn't in Lakeland, Florida, but it was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And instead of Southeastern, I knew that God was calling me to a place called North Central University. And one thing I knew that I couldn't do uh, was decide to attend both. Even though Southeastern would have been really nice for December through March. <laughs> No, I couldn't, I couldn't go to both universities at the same time. You see, saying yes to one of them and then saying no to another. See? And you and I, we do this sort of thing all the time. When we choose a, uh, a career, we say no to another career. When we choose to buy a car, we say no to other options. When we choose to purchase a house, unless we're like a bajillionaire and can buy lots of houses, uh, we usually choose a home to live in, which means we say no to the other places we could I mean, we do this all the time. Listen, when we say yes to Jesus, it means that we can say no to all of the destructive and the hurtful and the sinful things of this world. When we say yes to Jesus, we say no to the other things in our lives that would try and push in and take priority over God and His will in our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, we need to say no to the things that may bring temporal fulfillment in this life, but instead, we say yes to the things that bring joy in our lives for all of eternity. We must choose to follow Jesus with our whole heart. The second thing is in verse 31. It says this. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then it goes through all the things that Elijah did to get ready for the fire of God to fall. And listen, if we want to see God do miracles in our lives, the second thing we have to do is we have to do our part. We have to do our part. I mean, it usually takes some work on our part to experience everything that God has for us. Even in our story last week, God miraculously broke in and called Moses, but guess what? 
Moses had a lot of work to do when God called him. I mean, look at all the things that Elijah had to do to experience this miracle. He, he gathered these large stones. He built an altar. He dug a trench. He piled the wood. He butchered the sacrifice. He put the sacrifice on the altar. And then if that wasn't enough, he had water poured over it three times. I don't know about you, but it sure seems like a lot of work for Elijah to try and make this point. That's a lot of work. But listen, for us to receive anything from God, expect that there is going to be something we have to do. It takes work. And yes, God does the miracle. God does the miracle, but we have a part to play, just like Elijah did. If Elijah hadn't prepared the sacrifice, I don't think we would have seen the fire. And if all Elijah did was, was pray for the fire, there would have never been a sacrifice to consume. God has a part, and we have a part. And listen, if we are trying to do God's work for Him, we will fail. We'll fail. But if we are wanting Him to do our work for us, He's not going to do it. God's not going to do our part for us. If we do our part, and if God does His part, then what we're going to find in that relationship, in that working together, is that we will have strength and we will see results. God has a part, and we have a part. You ever wonder, when you read through the New Testament, why people would always follow Jesus? I mean, Jesus would do these miracles, and all of a sudden there would be huge crowds following him. And, and I think that, that Jesus wasn't interested in doing miracles to, to have a crowd follow him. But I think there was a lot of people that were like, wow, that's pretty cool. I just want to see what Jesus is going to do next. I just want to see the miracle. I just want to, I just want to see how cool. I don't want to get too close, but I want to see what Jesus is doing. Listen, Jesus isn't interested in people coming just to see. That's why so many people, Jesus, when he, when he healed them or when he set them free, he would tell them, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I mean, my thinking, I would be like, I mean, what do you want to just tell everyone? No, but Jesus isn't interested in just drawing a crowd for people that want to see him. Jesus wants us to follow him because we love him. Because we believe in him. Because we know that he can change our lives. I think sometimes if we're honest, we're lazy. And we would just want God to do stuff for us. I mean, it's like, okay, Lord, help me with the lottery so I can be rich. I mean, I mean so I can give more to kingdom builders. <laughs> That's what I meant, right? <laughs> No, God says, work hard. Live by the principles of my word. Handle your finances right. And you will be able to give more to kingdom others. James 4, verse 2 through 4 says this. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So we have to choose to follow God with our whole heart. and We have to be willing to do our part. But the third thing that Elijah shows us in this story is this. We have to trust God with the results. We have to trust God with the results. 
Verse 36, it says, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. This is incredible. He just says simply, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. The Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. After all of his hard work, Elijah prayed what in Hebrew was a simple 41-word prayer. It was not flashy. It was not long and grandiose. It was a simple prayer that was filled with complete confidence and trust that God would do what's right. That's what Elijah prayed. Look what happened. It says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed out from heaven and it burned everything up. Wow. You know, when you look at the life of Elijah, his courage and his faith, they were something that was almost unparalleled in all scripture. His challenge to this king, his rebuke of the people of Israel, his confrontation with all the false prophets, they were all done with only the weapons of prayer and faith. Prayer and faith in God. His motives were right. His heart was to see people turn back to God. His heart was to see people worship the one true God. Elijah wasn't saying, look at me, look at me. Elijah was saying, look to him. Look to him. He wasn't trying to gain something for himself. He wanted God to get the honor. He wanted God to get the praise. And listen, we have to trust God with the results. Because God is the one who does miracles. God is the one who does miracles. So what does it mean for us today? It's a cool story. It's a cool event that happened thousands of years ago. What does that mean for you and me today? Does that mean that, that we should all go out now and start building altars and try and call down fire from heaven? That could be fun. So, unless God has really called you to do that, but what we can do is this. We can choose to follow God wholeheartedly today. We can choose to follow him with our whole heart. If we're sitting on the fence, we can choose to follow him. We can start saying no to anything in our life that could be dividing our heart. You know what else we can do? We can work hard. We can work hard in every situation. We can do what is right, and we can put ourselves in a place that God can break in at any moment and do something amazing. That's what we can do. We can trust God to do what only He can do. And you know something? I believe that God wants to do something amazing right here today. So I want to encourage you and invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Because I believe that the greatest miracle that I have ever witnessed in my entire life is when a person makes the choice and accepts the forgiveness of Jesus and is reconciled to God. I think that's the greatest miracle. And I'm not just saying that. I, I really believe it is because I believe that that miracle is an eternal miracle. It's an eternal miracle. See, we can experience something cool. We can experience a healing in our body or, or we can experience a miracle like that. But listen, we still die. Eventually. 
But when you accept Jesus into your heart, it's a miracle that never, ever, ever ends. It's an eternal miracle. Listen to me this morning. It takes accepting the free gift of God's grace for that to happen. I just finished a few weeks ago a series about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. We talked about in that series how forgiveness only takes one person. It just takes one person to forgive. It's a decision that we make. But we also talked about how for there to be reconciliation, it takes two. And you've got to know today that God has already forgiven you. He has already provided forgiveness for you today. He did it on the cross. Forgiveness is available. You've been forgiven. The question is, are you going to work with God now and be reconciled to Him? God has already made the choice to forgive. But are you going to accept that forgiveness? Are you going to accept the free gift of grace that God offers today? And if you're in this place today and you've never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, you've never said, okay, Lord, I invite you in for goodness and restore me to relationship with you. Today is your day. In a moment, we're going to have a closing prayer. But before we do, I want to just invite you to pray a prayer of surrender to God. And so let's do this. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed in this moment, if you want to make that decision to surrender your life, if you're ready to follow Jesus with your whole heart, I'm just going to ask you to do this, to slip up your hand. You can do it right now. Just slip up your hand. And as you do, we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to, yes, thank you. As you do, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment, a prayer of surrender. Yes, thank you. Just keep your hand up for a moment. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, two hands right there. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Just going to wait just for a moment. Yes, thank you, thank you. Okay, put your hands down. Just keep your hands down for a moment. I want to pray this prayer. I want to invite everybody to pray this prayer out loud after me. Just say these words out loud to Jesus. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for calling my name. I come to you today confess that I'm a sinner. I have done things wrong, but today I make the choice and I invite you into my life. Come and forgive my sin. Come and make me clean. Teach me how to live a life that follows you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's clap our hands for God. Let's clap our hands for God. Let's do it. Let's do it. Believe that when we say that prayer, that God begins an incredible work in our heart. Why don't we just stand together? Prayer team is going to invite you. Our time is short. Prayer teams come and join me at the front here. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I want you to just do two, two things. The first thing is this. We have a book that's called Now What? It's just a book that gives you some instructions. And maybe this decision that you made is something that's brand new and you've never made this decision before. And we want to put that in your hands. Our prayer teams will have those down here at the front. You can 
get one of those. We want you to get one of those now what books. And the second thing is this. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to tell somebody before you before your head hits the pillow tonight. Tell someone. Tell someone that you trust or maybe someone that you know has been praying for you to say, hey, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. When we follow Jesus with our whole heart, when we are willing to do our part, and when we trust God with the results, I believe that God is going to do incredible things in us and through us. Are you with me? Are you with me? Amen. Our attempts are here. If you have a need of any kind this morning, we want to pray with you. We want to believe God for miracles. We want to believe big. And so if you have a need today, as we dismiss in just a moment, we invite you to come and connect with one of our prayer teams. Thank you, Jesus. We pray blessing. Lord, as we leave this place today, we do so full of faith. God, knowing that, Lord, you have amazing things for us. Lord, we know that it's not just for us, it's for your glory. So God, use us. We want to be yours. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.